0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I want to go to the word of the Lord, First Kings chapter 5, and starting with verse number 15. The Bible states these words and Solomon had three score and 10,000 that bear burdens and four score thousand hewers in the mountains. Besides, beside the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work 3,000 and which ruled over the people that wrought in the work and the king commanded and they brought great, stones costly stones and hewed stones to lay the foundation of the house and the house they're speaking of is the temple of solomon and solomon's builders and hiram's builders did hew them and the stone squares so they prepared timber and stones to build for the next few moments and center our lives around the word of the Lord. I pray, God, that you help us, educate us. Lord, instruct us. God, I pray, oh, Lord, Jesus, bring some things perhaps back to our minds' remembrance and solidify, God, some things just once again in our life and we'll be thankful, God, for what you do and accomplish by that. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. The lovely name of the Lord foundational stones foundational stones now folks i'm i'm not real sure i'm not real sure what your tendency is whenever you go on a trip and you're traveling from place to place but i know what mine is and i like to take in the scenery I love to drive, and I love to look around while I drive and take in the scenery. I like to examine all the different types of houses that there are and all the different types of buildings that there are. They're are along the, the, the landscaping there, whether I'm in a more rural area or whether I am in a more urban area. I just love taking in the scenery, and I've always had a bend in my own personal life. I've always had a bend toward architecture. I would dare say that I drew box houses with little triangle roofs with chimneys on top before I could even write my name. It was just who and what I was. And uh, I built those little houses uh, uh, with the Lego blocks that I had as a kid more so probably than what I built anything else uh, with Legos as a child. And so to this day, I just love looking at old buildings. Old buildings, new buildings, buildings of any sort. I just love looking at old buildings. And I can pass time. Uh, there are times I can pick up a, a magazine and just thumb through it, particularly if it's highlighting different, just house plans. I like looking at that type of stuff. I just, it's just kind of, it's it's my weirdness and maybe not yours, but I just like that. And it's not that I'm searching for my dream home. I could care less about that. I just like looking at them and looking at the plans and looking at how they're laid out. And sometimes even uh, magazines that may showcase some architectural genius. If, if you were to walk to my offices tonight uh, to the, the right there is a, a a a poster if you will that's framed that i believe this church got me on one occasion and it is a a house called falling water that frank, frank lloyd wright who is just a tremendous architect had, had designed and my wife and i when we evangelized had a chance to go see that tremendous tremendous edifice that structure and we were i was just it was like a dream come true. True, It was like one of those things on my bucket list. And so I, I, love, I love articles that, that show different structural designs. That just enthralls me. And As a matter of fact, just to show you how, how bent I am on this, not long ago I was walking on the treadmill at night and I was watching a YouTube video about college students and their architectural projects being critiqued by their professors. And it was great. that, 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 That two miles or whatever it was that I was walking that night went by so quickly because it was something I was interested in. And to see them critiqued and what came out of their mind was just overwhelming to me. I just enjoyed it immensely. But I would guess this evening that when any of us are taking a trip or on a journey and we are passing... By a building or a structure and if it has any type of immense size or unique design or perhaps it has some really elaborate materials that we're not used to seeing and our attention for the most part would believe would be caught by that because of its size caught our attention because it's unique design. Its shape is a little peculiar compared to other buildings or the materials. Oh, just so elaborate. And man, that's amazing marble on the outside for five stories. You know, that it costs a lot of money where our attention is caught by that type of thing. But Brother Johnson, I don't ever recall looking at a structure and thinking, man, would you look at that foundation? I don't ever recall that. I've asked my wife, hey, would you look how that thing shaped Or I've asked her, man, look at that. or Look how big that is. But I don't ever recall ever saying, honey, would you look at that foundation? Never once in my life have done that. Yet in all reality tonight, folks, and honestly, the size and the design and the materials are very much so reliant upon the foundation. Oftentimes we're engaged in what we can see rather than what we cannot see. And not in every case, but in most cases, the foundation is unseen, or at least mostly unseen. And as the old saying goes, out of sight, out of mind, and though we may not think of it or consider it, it does not remove the importance of a foundation. As a matter of fact, the first and most important thing in a structure is the foundation. It is the very thing upon whom the whole structure stands or it falls, it's upon its foundation. Simply defined, Bishop, a foundation is the element of an architectural structure which connects it to the ground. In more simple terms, the foundation is what grounds the structure. Foundation grounds the structure. The Bible says that God spoke in Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen. God said, behold I, everybody say I, lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious corner stone, a sure foundation. Whenever Abraham was on his journey, Amen, and he left his homeland. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that he was looking, he was searching, not for a unique design, not for immense size, not for material, but he said he was looking for a city that more than anything, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The Bible says in 1 Kings, and I know tonight I'm in preach mode and Wednesday's usually teach mode, so I'm asking you just to lean in just a little bit because I know that's outside of the pocket, outside of the norm, but just bear with me in Jesus tonight, all right? In 1 Kings 5, Solomon is preparing to tackle the task of superintending the construction of the temple of Solomon. Seven years of his life will be dedicated to this task from the time that he starts until the time that he finishes. The temple, though, is vastly different from the old tabernacle of Moses in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was designed by God for an easy setup and an easy teardown. It was designed for portability, mobility, that you could take it from place to place. But the temple would be different from that. Where the tabernacle had mobile sockets of silver as their foundation that they could pick up and load in a wagon and take to the next place or that the wooden post could rest upon those mobile sockets of silver. The temple was quite different from that. The Bible says the temple would have great stones, costly stones, hewn stones to lay the foundation of the house of the temple of Solomon. Can someone say amen? Amen for the temple to be built according to the pattern It was to have a solid foundation. Not necessarily a mobile foundation. Not a foundation to be torn down and built back up. But it was to have foundational stones to be laid. Unlike the tabernacle of Moses, this temple was going to be built with permanence in mind. Gone by were the days of going from place to place. God says now I have prescribed a place. That's where I'm going to put my name. And that's where you're going to come and worship me. And adore me so we're not talking now about a journey we're talking about a destiny we're talking about a place of permanence there was no thought of decay in this place there was no thought of mobility in this place but the men the minds of the men who laid these noble courses of stone said this is going to be where it starts and this is where it's going to be finished and this is where it's going to be to remain whenever you read the scripture in verse 17 of great stones costly stones, and hewed stones. In the original language, there is no conjunction that is expressed in the original language. In other words, there is no and in the original language. It wasn't, as you may read it tonight, it wasn't that there were three different types of stones, those that are great and costly and huge stones, but these are three descriptions of the same Foundational stones. They were only one type of stones. They were foundational stones. They just happened to be great. They happened to be costly. And they happened to be huge. Someone say amen. These foundational stones were great. The word great in the Hebrew means they were large. They were great in importance. They were great in number. They were distinguished. It says that they were costly. In the Hebrew, that means that they were valuable, or they were weighty, or they were influential. They were huge. According to the Hebrew, that means that they were dressed, or wrought, or they were Cut stones. Whenever I begin to consider that these are these foundational stones are great stones, I understand that they were large stones. When I understand they were Possibly stones, I understand they were weighty stones. In in 1 Kings chapter 6 to verse or chapter number 9 in the book of Kings, the building of the temple is what is in the view. The building of the temple, the building of Solomon's house, another building called the house of the forest of Lebanon is described between chapter 6 and chapter 9. And it is there in those chapters that these great costly stones are used for a foundation and they're spoken of again and again the bible even describes that they were according to the measure of huge stones these these foundation stones were according to the measure of huge stones. It's as though the measure of huge stones may have been a standardized size for foundational stones. And and in verse 10 of First Kings 7, it speaks that these stones were 10 cubits and there were some that were 8 cubits. And for you and I that do not deal in the measurement of cubits, what that meant was some of these stones were 13 feet or some of these stones were 10 and a half feet. So needless to say, these are some large, these are some large stones. As a matter of fact, there have been archaeological digs in the area where the first temple or where the temple of Solomon was built and they have found some foundational stones that they believe belong to the temple that Solomon built weighing in excess of 100 tons. All right. These are some large stones. These are some weighty stones that were used For the foundation. But not only are they large. They are great. They are in number. According to one scholar. He said that the temple. Was built on a rock. By the side of a frightful. Precipice, And we are told by historians that 600 feet of foundation work had to be built to level it on one side where Solomon's porch would stand. So we're not talking about just big stones. We're talking about a lot of foundational stones. Before there was ever a building erected, before there was any timber that would form a room or a holies of holies or a holy place, there was a lot of foundational work that had to be accomplished in order to support the house Of the Lord. Everybody say great. They were great. They were great because they were great in importance. They were great because they were distinguished. They were costly because these stones, foundational stones, were influential. Amen. Foundation problems do not only affect foundations, but potentially anything they are connected to or anything that is based upon them. I get nervous if I'm looking somewhere around for a new home and they say it has foundation problems because that does not seclude just to the foundation. That can affect anything that is built upon the foundation. At our second church in Kingsburg, the second church had foundation problems. At one corner, the foundation had settled. It was cracked. It was broken down. But that foundation problem did not go without affecting other areas of the church. Inside the church over on this side toward the front and the altar area There was a raised up spot in the flooring that probably most if not all of you who was there remember kind of slanted down both sides. It reached a little peak over there in the floor. There was a spot that was raised in the altar area and after investigation by the men one time we realized that raised up spot was due to a low spot in our foundation. Y'all indulge me for a moment. We had a basement underneath that church the basement didn't go to the exterior, to the extent of the exterior walls. It was smaller. It was kind of like having a rectangle inside of a rectangle. The smaller rectangle was underneath the church, and it was the basement, all right? And so what we had was, we had a joist that was extended beyond that small little rectangle, this being the basement, and as the foundation out here, that's my elbow, as the foundation broke down, that joist began to teeter-totter on the basement wall and as it went down, it caused the floor to go up. But it all stemmed from a foundation problem. Amen. You say, Well, what important is that? I tell you what important it is. David even proclaimed in Psalms eleven three. He said, If the foundation be destroyed, that's where he put the blame. He said, if the foundation be destroyed, what shall, what can, what can, not shall, but what can the righteous do? I mean, if you got a faulty foundation, you're going to have a faulty room. You're going to have some other aspect that's going to be off-kelter. Something else isn't going to measure quite right. Something else isn't going to operate correctly. If there's a foundation problem, what can the righteous do? Righteous can't do anything for one matter because we shouldn't have been the one that created the foundation in the first place. We didn't create it. We didn't make it. It belonged to God. If there's a foundation problem, then again, it's not because God has a problem. It's because we try to make our own foundation, our own stone, our own way. Someone say amen. What can you do if you got a foundation problem? A foundation problem is gonna cause a lot more problem. That's the reason why you gotta make sure the foundation and the foundational stones are in place. They are correct. They are true. They are according to the master builder, if you will. Not only was Jesus Christ, the Bible says, the cornerstone or the foundational stone, but the Bible also tells us that the apostles and prophets were the foundational stones. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 19, Now, therefore, speaking to the Gentiles, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation, everybody say foundation, of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. In other words, not only is Christ, not only did God say, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, that's a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. Not only did I put Christ there in Zion as a foundation stone, but the apostles and prophets as well. And the things that they propagate and teach also are foundational stones to this building that I might say we call the church. In ancient building practices, the chief cornerstone was very carefully placed because the chief cornerstone was so crucial because the entire building was lined up with whatever the chief cornerstone was set. It wasn't just you had foundational stones, but there was a stone among the foundational stones that was superior to it all. And that was the chief cornerstone. And the Bible says that's Christ. And everything else lined up with that. And it was in, in continuity with that. And then oh, after all those things are lined up, then you start building upon that. The apostles and the prophets. The Bible speaks that the apostles and prophets of the New Testament were eyewitnesses of his majesty. It speaks of the apostles and prophets, amen, of the word of the Lord, that they spoke to you and I concerning salvation. And what they said unto us, amen, concerning salvation, was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. That's the apostles, the apostles and prophets. They taught us this is what you do concerning water baptism. This is what you do concerning remission of sins. This is what you do concerning repentance. This is what you do concerning receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. The apostles and prophets, and we call ourselves apostolic today because we purport and we propagate the same doctrine that the apostles purported. What are you saying? I'm trying to stand on the same foundation of the apostles and prophets in Jesus Christ himself. What they taught, we teach foundational stones. And so Christ is for sure our foundation stone and perhaps our only foundation stone of redemption but the apostle and prophets along with Jesus are our foundational stones of doctrine. Someone say amen. amen. The Bible states this in Hebrews 6, verse number 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. Now, I've taught from this verse several times in Bible studies to people that may not even know anything about God. And I always tell them in verse 1 where the Bible says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, that word leaving does not mean abandoning. It's not that we're abandoning the principles of the doctrine of Christ, but we're using them as a basis. We're using them as a basis to stand upon to go forward unto perfection. And so the sure foundation stones mentioned here Concerning doctrine of the apostles and prophets, the sure foundation stones, the the great, the costly, the huge stones spoken of here are the doctrines of repentance from dead works. Is the doctrine of faith towards God? It's the doctrines of baptisms with a S, because you have the baptism of the water and the baptism of the Spirit. It is the doctrines of the laying on of hands and the doctrine of believing in the resurrection from the dead. And if you believe a resurrection from the dead, you believe he rose from the dead. And if you don't believe he rose from the dead, then you are still yet dead in your sins, the Bible says. It's a doctrine, a doctrine of eternal judgment, meaning this, we'll all stand before God. Now look what the writer says in verse number three. He says, and this will we do. What is he referring to when he says this? He's referring to what he said earlier. We will go on to perfection. This and this going on to perfection will we do but if God permit. What are you saying? I'm saying this, ladies and gentlemen. If these foundational doctrine stones of repentance and faith and water and spirit baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection and judgment, if they are not properly laid and left intact, then God as the building inspector cannot give the permit to go on unto perfection or go on unto the completion of the building if the foundation is not right. If the foundation stones are not correct, he can't say go on with construction if the foundation is not right and according to his code and his standard. One of the primary design concerns with foundations is this settlement issues. For instance, there is something called differential settlement, which is, which is normally considered in foundation construction. But if I may slide over into a spiritual context tonight, it's one that needs to be considered in our generation as well. Because differential settlement is this, is when one part of the foundation is settled more than another part. One part. And when you have one part of this foundation that is settled and the other is not, you have that can't delete you have that 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 kind of unlevel spot almost like we did amen over top of a wall but it's just on the ground there's one spot that's higher than the other not all things have settled evenly or at the same time or in the same proportion there's one side that has settled more than the other side and so whenever we get people today that respect repentance and they respect faith in God and they respect the laying on of hands for healing but they've not settled the issue of baptism in Jesus name or the necessity of being filled with the holy he goes, You got settlement issues. They're settled on one hand, but they're not quite settled on the other. And that type of issue is a foundational issue, and it will corrupt the whole structure. Don't start telling me it does not matter how you are baptized. It does not matter if it's Father, Son, Holy Ghost titles or in the name of Jesus. I'm sorry to disagree. We're talking about a foundation issue. And if the foundation is wrong, everything you try to build upon it is correct. Don't you tell me receiving the Holy Ghost is like an option on the car. That it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a foundation issue. We got to get it right from the start. You gotta get these things all settled. Someone say, Amen. God said, I lay in Zion a tried stone. Uh huh. He said, I lay in Zion a tried stone. What are we talking about? I'm talking about something that's been tried. Don't you remember Christ? He was tempted in all ways, like you and I are. Yet he was without sin. Don't you remember him being tried? He hungered, he thirsted. Don't you remember him being tried by a court of a corrupted law? He was tried by a cat of nine tails. He was tried by a crown of thorns. He was tried by the curse of being hung upon the tree, not to mention all the ridicule he went through and the mockings that he went through and the human humiliation that he went through. Someone say amen. He was tried. He was tried. Someone say he was tried. And so that brings me to this. They were costly in the sense that they were influential, but they were also costly in the sense that they were valuable. Someone hear me? These foundational stones were costly in the sense that they were valuable, and in conjunction with that, they are costly in a sense because they were hewed or dressed or wrought or cut. Quarried, quarried stone. The Bible says this in the Living Bible, the same text that I read to you, 1 Kings five seventeen. It states it like this. It says the stone cutters quarried the shape and shaped huge blocks of stone, a very expensive job for the foundation of the temple. In other words... The stones were valuable and costly due to the tear and the pain which had been taken in selecting the hunk of stone and hewing these foundational stones away from the mountain. They were tried. They went through some things. They went through some things in order to get to be prepared for and arrive at what their intended purpose and use was. But I could say it like this. The value of the stone comes from the hewing process. It comes from the digging out, the shaping, if you will, of the stone. Note 1 Kings 5.18. The Bible says, so they prepared Timber and stones, foundational stones, to build the house. Listen to me now. The fashioning of the stones, the conditioning, the hewing of the stones occurred before they ever arrived in Jerusalem. The conditioning, the cutting, The leveling, the planing of the stone all took place. The preparation all took place before they ever arrived in Jerusalem at the temple site. There was no stone dressing or cutting that was done at the temple mount site. As a matter of fact, 1 Kings 6 and verse 7 states this. And the house, when it was in building was built of stone, look at this, was built of stone, made ready before it was brought thither. In other words, the foundational stones that were used for the temple were already made ready before they ever reached the location where the temple was to be constructed. So that there was neither, look at the word now, so that there was neither hammer nor ax nor any tool of iron heard in the house that's the temple, while it was in building. What we have here is a couple-step process. They would hew and query the rock from the mountain. They would shape it, plane it, do whatever they needed to prepare it right there for the purpose of using it over here at the temple site to be put together and built without ever raising an ax, a hammer, or any type of iron tool upon it. Someone say Amen so then in building the temple only blocks, might I say foundational blocks were dressed, planed at the quarry that were planed over there where they were dug out only there were they used only there was a hammer used, only there was an axe or a tool of iron used and you could hear it, but at the temple you didn't hear an axe, you didn't hear a hammer, you didn't hear any type of iron tool being used at the temple site, someone say glory the Bible says in 1 Kings 7 and verse 9, and what this is is just a general description of foundational stones, regardless of what they were even used for. This is just a general description of foundational stones. And it says all these were of costly, here we go again, costly stones. They're valuable. They're influential. According to the measure of huge stones, they're large stones. They're important stones. soled with saws within and without. Even from the foundation Uh, To the coping, in other words, these stones were used from the foundation to the coping thereof, and so on the outside toward the great court. Someone listening to me because I need you to pay attention because I'll land the plane here in a little bit, but I need you to hang on for the next few moments. They did not alter any of the foundation stones on the site of the temple, there was no alteration once they were to be put to use for the temple, they were fashioned at the rock quarry, their place of origin, their place of origin is where they were fashioned. And they were, they were fashioned so well that whenever they brought them from there to the temple site, they merely slid them or put them in their proper place at the temple site, and they fit perfectly together with no, no amendment needing made. From the beginning, the foundation stones were made from the beginning to fit together. All they needed was properly placed at the temple in order to work in conjunction. Someone say amen. Matthew Henry he said it like this he says but here it seems the preparation was more than ordinarily full and exact to such a degree that when the several parts came to be put together there was nothing defective to be added and nothing amiss to be amended. So I say Amen. I'm talking about great stones, costly stones, hewn stones, foundation stones. But listen to me, if these stones were the size that these stones are prescribed to be in scripture, then they had to be transported in some way where they were dug out and prepared to where they were put in practice and used. And by most people, scholars today, opinions are that moving large stones from a mountain would have required dragging them and therefore resulting in necessary damages of the stone requiring on-site fixes then for the transport and the journey that they had to go from the rock quarry to the temple to be used and taken care of. But the Bible is very clear that Solomon had put somehow a means in place where the movement from the rock quarry to the temple did not damage none of the foundational stones because no ax, hammer, or iron tool is heard in the place where they're put together. I'm preaching, if you don't realize that I am tonight to you, just hold on just a little. These are costly stones. They're costly because of being hewn out. They're costly because of the preparation that it takes to hew out. There are two things that make these stones costly. Listen to me. Number one is their preparation. Number two is their transportation. The the exact preparation must, listen to me, the exactness of shaping the stone, that's costly. A lot of money, a lot of time, investment that's involved there. Hey man, that's costly. But the exactness of the preparation then made the the transportation an important matter. Because what they got solidified here that should fit together has to be able to be transported and still fit together. Nothing can be lost in translation and nothing can be added in translation. What was pure here has to remain pure over here at the temples. Because in the transporting, they did not want to damage the stone in transport, because when it arrived at the temple scene, it should fit securely with all the other stones of foundation they sent over. Mm, someone say, yes. And so great deal, great deal of attention was paid to its preparation. And because of the detail to its preparation, it demanded that there should be detail and attention in its transportation. Amen. So that nothing was lost between where it started and where it finished. Someone say amen. Because listen, folks, no tools being laid on these stones at Jerusalem. No tools are being laid on these stones at the temple. It was going to just be built. No preparation was happening at the temple. It was just going to work. That stone was gonna fit with that stone and that one was gonna fit with this one until you had a complete foundation. What I'm saying is, folks, there cannot be no loss in the transport or in the translation of this thing where its origin was and it was dug out. Whenever it gets transported to the church, repentance must work with the baptism and baptism must work with the infilling of the Holy Ghost and all that should work with the laying on of hands and eternal judgment and the resurrection. There should be nothing lost. Nobody should have to raise a tool for any type of adjustment, for any type of change, for any type of alteration. Someone say yes. Because whenever God said I lay in Zion that tried precious stone that's known as Jesus Christ that was even a stone that was prepared and a stone that was hewn throughout his earthly life but particularly at Golgotha, Calvary, the place of the skull just outside the city walls of Jerusalem it was there outside the city walls of Jerusalem that that precious stone Jesus Christ was prepared and hewed and whittled down with the stripes and everything that befell him outside of Jerusalem that's where he was prepared but it still had to be transported back into the walls someone say glory see there's much detail given to what happened at Golgotha the piercing of the body just like prophesied the blood that was shed that was needed and necessary the absence of broken bones detail details Attention, given, why? Because there is being hewn out here on Calvary a foundational stone, a chief corner stone. That stone was prepped before ever visited Jerusalem inside the walls. It was prepped before it ever visited Jerusalem inside the walls. And all that prepping was great. All that prepping was tremendous. It's exactly the way it should have happened and the way that needed to happen. But there was still a transportation that needed to take place from outside the walls of Jerusalem to inside the walls of Jerusalem. More particularly inside an upper room inside the walls of Jerusalem. On Acts 2, there was a translation. There was a transportation from what was prepped on Calvary to happen in the upper room on the day of Pentecost for the foundation of the church. And when it arrived, it arrived intact. When it arrived, nothing had been subtracted from it. When it arrived, it didn't need amended. It just works. He was the stone made ready before it was brought ever to Jerusalem. Someone say yes. And more importantly, or just as important, I should say, the doctrinal foundation stones that became attached and assembled to the chief cornerstone didn't need any adjustments. The doctrine of the new birth harmonized with who and what he was. The doctrine of repentance didn't need any adjustments or trimmings because they were already prepared to fit. And since there was nothing lost in translation, when they all got to Acts 2, the upper room, they all fit together. Just the way that they were created, just the way that it was intended to happen. Harmonized very perfectly. They fit very perfectly with everything that he was and everything that he represented. Again, folks, they're costly because of the prep work. Amen, and it's important. Amen, it's important. Someone hear me right now. It's important how we handle the doctrinal foundation stones of the church. Amen, from one generation to another generation. It's important as they are in transportation from this generation to the next that when they get to the next generation, they still fit together just like they Here's one of the morals of the story. Now I'm away from notes. That's oh fuck. That's fine. I don't care. Here's one of the morals of the story. He said there is no going to be no sound of the hammer, the axe, or any iron instrument at the temple, because it's not at the temple where you figure out how they fit, or you get them to fit. That happens at their place of origin. At the temple's not where you figure out how to make it fit. It's there that you just put it together. someone may disagree with me right here that's okay this is not where we try to figure it out as a pastor this is where I proclaim it it's already been prepped for the fitting it's already been prepped to work together in tandem this is not where I'm hammering and trying to figure this thing out no no it's already been figured out I just proclaim it I just put it together I put that piece with that piece that piece with that piece and before you know it we got ourselves a foundation that's capable of being built upon need to be able to fit together without any damage without any modification notice the only sound at the birth of the church was the sound of a rushing mighty wind that followed by the people speaking in other tongues there's no sound of hammer axe or iron, because those tools are fashioning tools tools that are devising something tools that are trying to figure something out that's not to be heard in the temple the prep has already been made just initiate the prep build it So if you'll stand with me tonight. Started my timer late and everything. So this is just all messed up. The church is being admonished to proclaim this truth. Proclaim these doctrines. And I tell you again, anybody that tries to tell you they're dead wrong, we are not trying to devise them or figure them out. The preparation's already been. I'm just assembling them. I just need to proclaim them. And I for sure don't need to be making any adjustments. Beware of assemblies in this last hour that's trying to make adjustments to foundation stones that's already been prepped. We shouldn't be hearing the hammer. We shouldn't be hearing the iron tool. We should hear the sliding of stones together in a perfect match. They were prepared at their point of origin. They were prepared at their point of origin so they would work at their point of destiny if nothing's been lost in translation. After a lapse of nearly 3,000 years or so, The foundation of Solomon, according to some finds, archaeological finds, there's still some of those stones, massive stones, folks, that are still yet preserved in their place. The foundation, the New Testament writer, Apostle Paul said, the foundation of God standeth sure. They're great stones, costly, influential. Important, valuable, hewn stones, because they're great, costly hewn. They're foundational. They're great representation of Christ laying that stone in Zion that's been tried and precious. They're greatly representatives of the apostles and the prophets who have told us about the Lord, not from a second or third hand, but from a first hand account of what they were taught and what they were instructed. They are great foundational stones of the doctrines that have been relayed to us concerning baptism and repentance and laying on of hands and a plethora of other doctrines that we teach and prepare around here. Not that we sit around and say, well, what do you think? I want to find just a little inroad here. just something gags a maggot of me. And people do small groups, and that's fine. That's great. But the wrong premise for some small groups is this Is getting a circle Open to the Bible Reading the scripture And asking everybody what they think And never giving a A a rigid For sure answer What the scripture is saying But let everybody feel comfortable With their own interpretation of scripture You know what that does? That mars foundational stones That mars Foundational Stones because I, I I shouldn't come to this place with my hammer and my axe. I'm not, no, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to slide that together. Slide that together. Because see, it works whenever it's already been prepped. Baptism in Jesus' name works real, real, real well with praying in the name of Jesus for healing. the most perfect dovetail you have ever seen. Mike, there is no sanding off any rough places with these things there was none of that. It fit. Whew. Just the way that God intended it. I prayed that this this would not would not be our experience. And that is for us personally and this is really just a quote. It's a quote by Nelson Mandela that he said once. He said there is nothing like returning to a place that remains unchanged to find the ways you yourself have altered and there's nothing like going back to the foundational stones that are intact in the way they are to only realize you've moved some things you've altered some things you've changed because you know what we need in a ever changing world We need a constant. We need something that remains. How are you going to know you changed if you don't have something that stays the same? Change can only be truly denoted or understood by a constant. If everything is in comparison and subjected to one another, if everything is changing, you have nothing to monitor your change by. In order for there to be any distinguishment of how much change has taken place, you must have a constant. And see, that's the tragedy of the world. They're measuring themselves to things that change as well. And so they're taken down this slop, sloppy, slippery slope of not realizing how far off they are because they don't have a constant in their life they can measure by. The foundational stones... The prepping at Calvary, the teaching under green trees and by Galilees, and what He gave to the apostles and prophets, and the doctrines that He incorporated in His Word—I can always go back here, and I can see where McGee is. I can always go back to the foundation stones, and I can see. Hallelujah! We can bow our heads in this place tonight. Hallelujah! These altars are open, and yes, it's. A- Thank you for listening.